Sacred Pause with Jessica Winderl. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the One Sacred Pause podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Winderl, and today I am speaking with two wonderful women all the way from Australia, and we're going to be talking all about conscious conception, preconception, and all kinds of things related to preparing your body physically, mentally, and spiritually. So welcome the the women of the Women's Wisdom Co., Karina Marshall and Madison Milton. Hello, thank you. So thank you for having us. Yay. Yeah. I I don't even know how I came across you guys on Instagram. Um, but as soon as I did, I started following you and really uh, enjoying the content that you're creating. And, and your branding is gorgeous, by the way. I really enjoy uh, your visuals. But oh, thank you. I'm so proud of it. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. It's I can see it was I can imagine it was probably a lot of continues to be a lot of work yeah. to create yeah. something. But it's worth it. <laughs> so beautiful. Um so I'd like to just start off the conversation by asking what your interest in preconception is and how you guys started forming your business together about six months ago. Yeah, well, basically, it all really kicked off um, after I gave birth to my little man. So uh, my son's just coming a year old now. Um, And Karina was a really good friend of mine. Uh, We've been friends since high school and have always been into very similar things, shared very similar interests in natural health. Um, Ended up starting off studying the same degree together at uni and then branched off into a little different direction, but essentially the same. Um, And yeah, so after I'd given birth, um, Karina had uh, come over and come visit um, and she was lovely and always checking in. And one of the times we were just sitting there and uh, we were like, how is the information um, around preparing your body for pregnancy not really available to women? Um, I had just overcome quite a few challenges that I faced in pregnancy um, and postpartum, which are things that maybe potentially could have been avoided if I'd taken a little bit longer to prepare. Um, And we were just really, I guess, thinking like the everyday woman doesn't have um, an easy roadmap of how to even remotely start to prepare. You know, we spend our whole lives trying to prevent a pregnancy most (laughs) of the time. And then we just decide like that one day, okay, we're going to try for a baby now. Um, And it doesn't always necessarily work that way. So yeah, then we were like, you know what, let's create that roadmap. Let's see what that might look like. Let's combine her naturopath skills, my nutrition and yoga skills, and let's make that roadmap for women. That's amazing. And so did you guys set out to start a business or was it more like kind of a side project hobby to begin with? And then you're like, oh my gosh, we might actually have something here that we could expand on. Um, Well, it just started out with our course, really. We were like, let's compile all of our information, all of our knowledge into one place. And then let's see, I guess, where that evolves and where that takes us. Um, And yeah, so it began as just a course and then it kind of became this brand. And yeah, now it's Women's Wisdom Co. So it has evolved and taken off. That's for sure. So what do you think, uh, Madison, you know, and I'm sure this is a really long answer, but what do you think looking back now? you would have done differently to prepare to get pregnant? 
Yeah, for sure. So a little bit of my backstory, I always knew that I wanted to prepare my body. I always had that in my mind, even from a very young age with my health background, I was like, you know, I'm going to take a few years. um, I'm going to really get ready. And unfortunately, that isn't how it played out for me. Um, My little man definitely had an agenda of his own and he (laughs) was a lovely surprise for both my partner and I. Um, But, you know, I'd kind of just gotten off the back of a three-year traveling stint across Asia. So, you know, the food that was available to me was pretty limited. Um, And, yeah, I just definitely wasn't in my optimal state. Um, And I knew that going forward. And, you know, I rode with the lovely blessing of my son and just it is what it is and it was meant to be. But, yeah, looking back, um, yeah, I'm very intrigued actually moving forward for my future children, you know, what it will look like and how my story might change having actually prepared and taken the time and done all the things that I know um, to do and, yeah, get the opportunity to do that myself. So, yeah. Yeah, well, and that's one of the things actually I think that's really important to say at the top of this conversation is that, you know, when we're considering conscious conception and we're looking at all of these areas in which we can prepare to welcome a baby into our bodies and our lives, is that we also have to acknowledge and, and respect women who, who maybe don't have as easy of a road or who struggle with infertility or um loss or anything like that. And I've actually done a whole episode on my podcast already about conscious conception and um, sharing about my personal journey with this. And, and I think that's one thing that's really important is just to be like, Hey, we're not coming out there saying, okay, follow this plan, do all these things. And then all of a sudden magically you're going to get pregnant because that's not unfortunately the way the world works. But for many women, I think you're exactly right that we have no idea where to begin. All of a sudden it's like, okay, I want to get pregnant and go. And then we don't, that might not happen. And so I think acknowledging that, that every woman has their own path and their own experience that they bring to the table, but also acknowledging that these can be super powerful tools um, to help a lot of women. And for me, you know, this was, one of the reasons I was so intrigued by your guys' material also is because I followed my own kind of conscious conception plan for about the eight months before I got pregnant. And I think that, and I didn't even know this was now looking back, I feel kind of stupid, but at the time I didn't, I was looking, I was like, okay, where can I find like a plan? Where can I find more information about preparing? And so I took my information from all of these different sources and was kind of creating or my own little stockpile. And, um, and then I ended up being incredibly lucky because I'm older. I was 38 when I got pregnant and 39 when I had my son and, um, I had a difficult birth and a very difficult postpartum period, um, which I'm still in my son's eight months old. And, looking back, the the preconception period was imperative. And it was so important for me and my journey and, and actually how I think the health of my son turned out. I mean, he's just like a squishy, happy Buddha baby. And, and I actually really attribute that to a lot of the foods that I ate and a lot of the practices that I had in a super low stress mentality around the process. And Um, you know, I got pregnant on the very first time my husband and I, the only time my husband and I had unprotected sex. And I share that not to 
upset women who struggle with getting pregnant. Um, but as a, like, Hey, it can happen. And I really think following a plan was a big part of that. So will you guys share a little bit about what the information is that you provide to women who are taking your course and, and following your, uh, your guidelines? Yeah, definitely. So I guess the whole concept um, behind preconception and conscious conception um, preparation is that most people think that um, the health of our child begins at conception. But when you look at it from a grand scheme, um, eggs actually take 100, so our eggs take 120 days to mature and sperm, the life cycle of healthy sperm is around 74 days. So in all, I guess we recommend a minimum of like three to four months of preparation. And that's what our course is guiding us through. So we base it on like the minimum preparation of three to four months for both the, like both partners um, and how they can prepare their bodies. So yeah, we have split up weekly though. Um, and I guess yeah, it's a lot of information. Um, so we'll have to attach some um, links below as well for more for more information. Um, but we kind of look at it from an aspect of completely nourishing yourself. So fertilizing your soil, preparing the garden, I guess, for preparing your garden, the womb and um, your body to kind of grow a child. So that's the basics behind it. Um, and I guess it all starts with nutrition, first of all. So um, there was a Dr. Weston Price, I reckon his name was, I always forget it, but I think it was Dr. Weston Price. And he traveled around in the 1930s, all around the world. So way back then um, to different cultures and different tribes around the world. And he found that most tribes actually had a bit of a bit of a preparation journey for their fertile couples so that those couples um, could prepare themselves for pregnancy and be the strongest self before falling pregnant and before raising a child. So he found one tribe in the Swiss mountains actually, and they fed their fertile couples their, their sacred food, I guess, um, which was special grass fed cow butter that they prepared and they spend like months preparing um, for their fertile couples so that they could have, you know, optimal conception and optimal children's health as well, which in, in looking back at it was like a really good standpoint for their survival of their entire tribe, which was interesting. Mm. Well, that's so cool you say that because I used a very ghee heavy diet in both my preconception period and in my pregnancy and of course postpartum. But, uh, you know, ghee is also it's clarified butter from the Indian tradition and uh, same thing, grass fed, very um, uh, special in the, in the way in which it's prepared. And especially I was using um, herbal ghee. So I had one of the things I did. Um, I did a, a two month Ayurvedic preconception cleanse. And so it was a month of cleanse and then it was a month of rebuilding and renourishing all the tissues. And so I followed a very specific dietary plan and following the Ayurvedic tradition. And yeah, I mean, I had so much ghee, special medicated ghee in the morning that I had made a special medicated ghee at night that I had made cooking with ghee, ghee and all my, a lot of my drinks. Um, like I would make a hot uh, like date milk drink with ghee. So delicious. And I don't, I don't have a nutrition background. I would not say that's an area that I'm very well versed in. Um, and so my main goal had really been focusing on good fats. 
that was my, I was like, if I don't know anything else, I'm just going to make sure that I'm eating. And I did eat a lot of oatmeal, a lot of seeds, a lot of nut butters, a lot of ghee. And I just was like, how much good fat can I get? Um, I know you guys talk a lot about seeds and nuts in your program. Can you speak to that? Yes, absolutely. So ghee is a huge um, aspect in my life and what we recommend to our clients as well. Um, we love to educate around that in our course. I think that's something that's just so easily incorporated, um, like you said, in cooking, in drinks, and it's just so well-rounded um, and covers so many of your fat-soluble vitamin bases. Um and yes, yeah, so many of our hormones as women is so critically dependent on fats from your diet. So, you know, if you aren't necessarily getting um, all of your fats in, then, you know, you potentially might be creating imbalances, which will then, you know, make it harder to fall pregnant potentially, um, as well as, you know, literally our brains are built from fat. So you are supplying the building blocks for your child's brain as well. So you don't want to be limiting that at all. Did you want to add in, Karina? Yeah, yeah, we're definitely, I've just seen a few clients lately actually who have grown up in the era where um, low-fat diet was like all the craze um, and like that's all they were hearing, like cut your fat completely and that. And now these women are growing up and looking at conceiving and all that and they're, they've, they've lost their periods completely because their hormones can't actually like be created without the good sources of fat. So their bodies just stopped communicating so, yeah, I think coming out of that whole low-fat diet phase and into the, like, good fat and healthy fat phase is a huge step for many women. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, it's completely – I mean, I'm part – I'm a child of the 80s and 90s, and I remember that. And then it was Atkins, and it was, like, all this crap about – yeah, starving your body, starving your brain function um, through eating low carb. And that was one of the things there were two. I mean, I did a lot of different things on my own path, but the two things that I really credit with helping me was just letting go of worrying about what my body looked like and what eating all this fat, good fat might do. And I mean, for me, it didn't really change much anyways, um, just because I've eaten that way for a long time already. Um, but I really ramped it up. I was like, okay. And I was having all my banana oatmeal pancakes every day. And yeah, just as much of these foods that I knew would be really supportive, um, as possible. But the other thing that, that I personally did, and, and I realized this could be a hard thing for, for many women, um, because I was an older mom and my husband and I when we started dating and we were first married and we'd of course talk about kids, do we want them? Do we not want them? And we were both kind of on the fence about it for a really long time. Um, we're both really independent. We love to travel. We love to ski. We like to go for adventures. We were living in the U S then my husband immigrated to the U S and we lived, he's Norwegian. We lived there for a while. Then I immigrated to Norway. We lived here, still live here. And, um, so when we sat down to finally, when I, the, right before I turned 38 and I was like, okay, we got to get serious <laughs> clocks ticking. And we made the decision. We were like, all right, we're going to try in October of, of 2019. And so that gave us a timeline to kind of think about it and for me to start preparing. But we also had said to each other, Hey, if we don't get pregnant, then we're going to live our life without children. And for us, that was such an empowering statement. And, and again, this isn't probably right for everybody, but it was right for us because what it did was it relieved a lot of the stress from the process. We both wanted a child. We both decided that we 
we're ready to welcome a child into our family. And yet we were also like, okay, if this doesn't happen, we're not going to pursue it. We're not going to go for IVF. We're not going to go and, and, and try other interventions. And what do you guys teach about for women to lower their stress and anxiety around the process of getting pregnant? Because I think that's such an important thing because I think so many women get so hyped up and it, it becomes um, counterproductive. Absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think also what you were saying around just getting on the same page with your partner Mm -hmm. and having that support and being like, you know what, we are, this is what we're doing, Um, setting that goal, setting that timeline. um, I think that kind of creates a bit of space and a bit of support, I guess. You have that that goal in mind together and you're both striving for for the same thing. but yes, as exactly as you were saying, stress is hugely counterproductive for the whole process. And in our modern societies, it's everywhere. Um, it's almost impossible to avoid, you know. And for so many of us, we are living our lives every day just so ramped up by stress, constantly bombarded with everything, everything. And then adding on also thinking about, oh my gosh, okay, I'm going to have a baby. I need to start preparing. And what if this doesn't happen? And all these thoughts start creeping in. Um And I think for a lot of women, we don't necessarily have the tools of how to actually process that and how to deal with that. Um, So it doesn't necessarily have to be this big extravagant um, process. Uh, We often find that it simply is actually, here are some tools. Um, Here are some things that you might not have ever been, have ever tried or implemented in your life. Um, Why don't you try X, Y, Z, see what resonates? You know, maybe it's a little bit of breath work for you or maybe it's a simple meditation practice or maybe journaling or maybe just simply grounding and actually getting your feet out in nature every day. Um, Just something super simple that you can come back to every day that is kind of like your 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 safe place, I guess, in a sense that it's like, okay, I can let go. I can let the walls down. I can switch into rest and digest mode. You know, I don't need to be in fight and flight. Um, and that's what we start with, uh, with our women. We give them the tools to actually start to lower their stress because for so many women, they're stressed and they might not even necessarily even know it. It's just their normal state, mm-hmm. um, which is just a product of our world at the moment, unfortunately. But yeah, exactly as you were saying, like, I think there is a certain element of as well that you have to surrender to. Um, You can have all of your intentions and you can have all of your plans. But at the end of the day, um, you know, there are certain things that are out of our control. And I think you have to make peace with that and also accept that and surrender in not only the timing for you, it might not happen straight away. But, you know, exactly as you said, like, it might not happen for you. And it isn't meant for everybody as well. Um, So yeah, I think surrender and making peace and accepting that, you know, there's only so much that you can do. Yeah, that's a really important message. And it's a hard one because when you want a child so much and you're you're ready for a child and then you're like, okay, but now I've got to completely release any (laughs) illusion of control I might have over this process is, I mean, so much easier said than done. and so I really feel feel that for women. And one thing I'd like to point out just for anybody listening about my journey, um, because, you know, I realize that that's a kind of a unique story, is that my husband 
while he's on board with a lot of the yoga and Ayurvedic things that I do and I teach and, and that I was practicing and continue to practice, um, he, he drew the line. He was not going to be doing, eating any foods. He did not want to participate in the cleanse with me. <laughs> and the, the most I was able to do to get him to prepare <laughs> besides having these conversations and supporting me was, um, uh, to take a, a, a men's multivitamin that was aimed for uh, boosting sperm and sperm health. And he would forget it half the time. And I was <laughs> every night, did you take your vitamins today? And so it's, it's not like I had this huge fairy tale existence. Like I was really the one driving it. Um, but I love that you guys had pointed out and mentioned how important it is for the, for the partner to consider their health also. What do you guys share in your course about um, helping women support the men in their life? Yeah, yeah. So absolutely important to get your men on board. Um, men supply 50% of the DNA that will be your child in the future. So it's a pretty big, pretty big responsibility. And from our aspect, they should just about have 50% of the responsibility then. <laughs> in a dream um, world. <laughs> Yeah, in a dream world, but but it um, doesn't always work like that. But yeah, as I was talking about the um, yeah the sperm life cycle taking seventy four days um, kind of seventy four day process. Um, that's the kind of minimum that we'd want men to kind of get on board if possible. Um, the the easiest thing we found, I guess, is showing men the facts. I think they're quite critical thinkers, and they just need to know know the exact facts and why they're doing this. I guess so. Once, once you kind of do show men like this, this could help with this and this could lead to this outcome, then they're, they're, usually, they're usually getting on board and like open to at least, you know, taking a multivitamin or at least cleaning up their diet. And I think if you're just putting in the time frame of, oh, it's just for a few months, like just for a couple months before we conceive, um, then they can usually kind of make a bit of a deal with them. But <laughs> <laughs> That's a great point. Yeah. And we often find that even sometimes for men, even just a multivitamin, that might be enough for some men. And, you know, that not everyone's different. And I think we also like to, I guess, like you said, give them the decision, the decision and say, okay, what level do you want to meet me on? This is why I'm doing this. This is where I'm going. This is what I'm doing. What level do you want to meet me on? Where are you comfortable? Where are you open to potentially learning some more? Um, and I guess like at the end of the day, really like one of their biggest jobs as well is just also supporting us and being the most nourished version of ourselves. And that in itself is a huge job too. So even if they're not necessarily overly keen on getting on board um, with the physical stuff, like even just being that support is huge. Mm. Yeah, I think you guys hit on some really important points that I hadn't considered. <laughs> I might have used those tools if I were doing it again, um, even though my husband's great and was supportive. Using the, the numbers and the statistics and putting an, an end date on it, okay, this is only three months, is probably pretty effective with many men. Because for men who are ready to become a father, hopefully they're invested in the process. <laughs> <laughs> What about, you had mentioned Madison, um, using breath work and what other tools do you uh, recommend to your clients in terms of reducing stress or just preparing uh, the body, I guess? Yeah, absolutely. So um, 
I guess Karina shared, we talk about diet a lot, um, but then we also do go into um, very much lifestyle kinds of things. So we start, we do talk about the five pillars, actually. We have five pillars of preconception health that we like to educate around. And the base tier of that is your diet. Um, And then we move into more lifestyle factors like, okay, let's take a look at what is in your environment. What's around you? What are you putting on your body? What are you using in your home? Um, What kind of toxins are you exposed to um, on a day-to-day basis? Um, And then that's kind of like our core groundwork. And then once you've kind of got those down pat, then we start to move into the more emotional um, preparation with our women and also that stress um, management as well. So exactly as you said, I love to use breath work. That's a huge one for me that I find personally super effective. Um, But we also love to talk about flower essences with our women Mm. as well. That's something that we incorporate in our course and is quite dear to both Karina and I. We have quite personal journeys with them. Um, And... As well as for me, I, I love journaling um, and we kind of just given our, we give our women all of these tools and they can choose, okay, cool, this feels really good for me. I'm going to continue with this practice. Um, but simply just literally the, the simple notion of taking pen to paper and actually letting go of whatever is circulating in your mind in the moment is so therapeutic that so many people overlook and often just forget about, you know, it's, yeah, I don't know. It's just something that not that many people do and you don't really realise the power until you sit down and you actually do it. And then afterwards you're like, holy crap. Like it's kind of like giving your mind a permission slip and saying, hey, you know what? I hear what you're saying. I'm going to write it down here. You don't need to worry about it. You don't need to keep going over it. We're not going to forget. It's right here. Mm. <laughs> and kind of just releasing it and letting it go. Um, so that's a really big one for me. Breathwork, journaling, flower essences. Um, yeah. Do you have anything to add, Karina? Um, I guess just one study that comes to mind was, um, well, a lot of studies actually find the, like, have found a link between women who stressed day-to-day, so just over things, you know, running around to different meetings and that, just simple stresses that many of us have. Um, and those studies have found a link between those types of women and lower chance of pregnancy. And one study even found that women who had high stress levels, like a high kind of high-end job and all that, took 29% longer to get pregnant. So for those people, like trying to conceive, that's quite huge. That's a huge impact that just stress can have on your body. Um, Stress impacts ovulation, like it can halt ovulation completely. And without ovulation, you obviously can't get pregnant. So, yeah, I think that's why we've made such a focus on um, mental and emotional preparation for pregnancy. Um, We've got two whole modules on it in our course so that women really um, find some tools to help, help deal with that a bit better. Amazing. Yeah, that's, you know, we start like with all practices of yoga and I'm a yoga teacher and an Ayurveda teacher. And, you know, we have to start with the tool that's the easiest to access, which is the physical body. So starting, like you said, Madison, clearing out, I mean, so many women aren't even conscious or thinking about the toxins in their home environment or the makeup they use or their deodorant or their laundry detergent or um, anything like that. So that in itself can be a pretty big education. Um, But then moving into the emotional, mental and spiritual bodies, I think is a huge part of this, this journey. And one of the things that Ayurveda teaches the sister science of yoga is that um, 
if we have repressed emotion or we have accumulated toxic matter that's related to um, unprocessed emotion, then it actually will manifest as, as a physical ailment. And so for me, that was something that I, I worked on was clearing out the emotional stagnancy that I had. And that was Madison, what you're talking about with the journaling too. And I, um, I had done early on, right at the beginning of my preconception journey, I had gone and done a, a three-day breathwork training. And for me, that was to release um, uh, emotion I was holding on to from, from grief and unprocessed emotion related to uh, cancer treatment I had had a few years before um, because I knew that I was holding on to this stuff and it was going to be really hard for me to welcome in the joy of a new life when I'm still processing or trying to process really heavy emotional stuff. And um, thinking about the preconception journey now, not just from the physical, but also moving into these more subtle realms is also something that might be a little foreign to women. And even so far as, and for me personally, this was actually the heart of my journey. I did all this extra stuff. I did all these yoga nidras and I used flower essences and I did all these meditations and all this stuff. Um, I did a week long uh, meditation training and, and really focused on, on the spiritual side of calling my baby in. And for me, that was so cool. And it was, um, it was funny because the baby I saw in my meditations <laughs> actually ended up not being the baby I had. So I still not quite sure what happened with that, but, um, it's still such an, a powerful thing is because at our essence, we are spiritual beings. And when we're creating life, I mean, that's the most powerful energy in the world is that Shakti. And so if we're going to be inviting that Shakti energy into our womb, then I think we have to look at it from a spiritual standpoint, whether you're religious or not, it's not about that. It's just about the recognition and honoring how um, awesome it is to be able to have this experience with another human and another spirit, spirit baby, spirit being. Do you guys talk about that in your course at all, approaching it from the spiritual angle? We do touch on it a little bit, yes. Um, and yeah, I really resonate exactly with what you were saying. Um, for so much, for so many women, it is this huge, enormous, like spirit, spiritual awakening or up leveling, I guess you know. And it really is all about, um, like you said, clearing the old, unprocessed, stagnant emotions that so that we all carry um, to create space um, and kind of be this neutral vessel to allow um, our children to come through, to come through us. Um, and that in itself is an enormous process. It's an enormous process. And there are so many, so many layers to touch on with that. Um, but yeah, we like to give our women um, some more of the basic tools. And then if they look to dive further, um, we provide more resources on that. But yes, me personally, I had a huge um awakening and shift when I was pregnant and also after I gave birth. Um, and I actually went to some really interesting workshops um, in the last month or so talking about this and, you know, why pregnancy can bring forward so many emotions for women. Um, and this, yeah, this lovely teacher that I met, her name is Jade Hard uh, Jane Hardwick Collings. Do you, have you heard of Jane? I haven't heard of her, no. 
She is a lovely Australian midwife um, and women's worker, and she was talking a lot around um, when we do fall pregnant that for many women we have like this pruning process that goes on in our brain. You know, we need more, we need centres that are upregulated for certain things, and then other other centres are downregulated because they're not so important in the next phase that we're moving into. Um, and this process can bring up so many stored, old, unhealed emotions and memories um, and traumas that, you know, if, like you said, you don't actually consciously start bringing to the surface beforehand, you know, it can really send you on this huge emotional uprooting, I guess. And I don't think that that's really spoken about. You know, I think women are very ready to tell you, you know, oh, I have stretch marks here and your, your nipples might go this color, you know, this might happen to you. But I don't really find in my sphere of women anyway, um, many saying, hey, you know what, like I'm having all of this grief coming up. Like, where is this coming from? Um and Jane, she was saying that, you know, when we fall pregnant, for most of us, our right brain actually becomes more dominant. And this is where we store our, you know, our memories. And this is like our visual uh, memory, emotional side. Um, and really the purpose of all of these things that are coming up for us while we're pregnant or if we start the journey before pregnancy is it's to clear out everything that isn't serving us so we can be that mother that that child is here for. Mm -hmm. You know, we can be that highest evolution of us to then mother this, this being. Um, yeah, so I think it's very, very, very fascinating and it's huge. It's a huge topic. I agree. And I also agree that it's not being talked about. And, I mean, I see a little bit of a shift. <clears throat> Excuse me. There is... I think this kind of wave of women in the wellness community who, like you guys, like me, who are starting to have these conversations in a more honest way, perhaps. Um, I think this type of work has been going on for centuries, millennia. If you think about women's circles and you think about how we used to live in community and, and uh, pregnant. And um, Karina, you had shared the story of the, the doctor who had seen this in the 1930s. You know, women used to be supported in such a beautiful way um, throughout every major phase of their life. And now, you know, we're career women and we're busy and society's happening and moving so quickly. And, and we've so much lost connection to our roots and our ancestral um, downloaded knowledge about how we have this innate wisdom. And I think it's really cool to see people starting to kind of revive this in a little bit more of a mainstream way because it works and it can be incredibly helpful. And I know the journey to motherhood can feel really lonely for a lot of women and can feel like there's some shame or there's some guilt or there's things that they don't want to talk about and that can actually impact their ability to get pregnant. And then, like you said, Madison, after pregnancy, so much is changing with our hormones and, and our emotions and our mental state. And a lot of times we don't have the vocabulary to match our internal experience. And so when women, and I, I really want to check out this woman that you mentioned from Australia, the midwife too, when we're able to have some more of these tools, I think it can ease that process and um, at least allow women to not feel so alone during this massive transformation that occurs and continues to occur. Um, I know for me, it was funny because I had planned so much for the preconception. I had planned a lot for my postpartum period. I didn't really care much about the birth. Like I figured that was going to go the way it was going to go. <laughs> and I had my breathwork tools and meditation tools. And, and so I didn't focus too much on that, but 
even with all of my planning and thoughts um, of preparation for the postpartum period, nothing went the way I thought it would. And of course, part of that was in due to the pandemic, which completely, um, I think is heartbreaking for every single woman who gave birth in the past year. Um, things were changed in terms of social services not being available, partners not being allowed to be in the birth or in the hospital afterwards. And, um, and that was really challenging and continues to be challenging. And can be isolated. You can't see your family. You can't see, you know, the midwife can't come to your house anymore. Like all this stuff happened and having, um, I think a more global community talking about this and sharing honestly about our feelings and emotions. And like you had said, Madison, where is this grief coming from? When we can share about our feelings in a way that there's no, no shame around it. I think that actually for any phase of preconception, pregnancy, postpartum that a woman is in, I think that's the number one message I would like to bring forth is removing the stigma and saying, Hey, how are you feeling? What's going on? And then just letting it be not feeling like there has to be any hidden agenda behind that. Um, so I think that's one of the reasons I really admire your guys' work because you are creating part of this dialogue. Mm -hmm. And I had a very similar experience to you as well with my son and my birth. And yeah, it was one of the most isolating and crazy and lonely experiences that you know, we've ever had my partner and I, and exactly as you said, we had all of the plans, we had all of the tools, all of the knowledge, um, and no one could really prepare you for what happens. Um, yeah, in the world. And exactly as you said, services dropped off. Um, and we had so many crazy things happen. Um, and yeah, with that came so many emotions. Um, and something I want to say as well, another teacher of mine, she likes to say that emotions are just energy in motion. And when you actually take that step back and you look at it like that, you're like, actually, yeah, you know, this is just energy and it's just, I just need to let it move through me. You know, mm -hmm. I don't need to necessarily attach a, sto a story to it. I don't need to, you know, start to create the internal dialogue around, oh my gosh, why am I feeling this? Where is this coming from? This is a terrible thing. Am I a bad person? Am I a bad mother? You know, like just actually being like, you know what? Yeah, this is energy that just needs to move through me. I need to do that however I can do that and also like you said it's about finding those tools in how to clear this energy and allow it to move through you so then it doesn't become something that isn't necessarily processed or becomes stagnant and then is stored and then like you said leads to further ailments down in the future so yeah I think this dialogue is so important to actually start talking about the emotions and what the whole journey of becoming a mother can actually bring up, you know, it is literally a death and a rebirth and that's mm. what it is. And, yeah. you know, back as you were saying in the times of villages, when, you know, you would have elder women or, or midwives in the villages who would actually sit with you and pass down that knowledge and that wisdom and say, Hey, you know, this is an enormous transition and rite of passage that you're about to cross, you know, um, how are you feeling? And actually having people recognize that. Whereas I think, <laughs> we have totally detached from that nowadays, you know, you'd like, oh yeah, cool. I've, I've had a baby. Amazing. Like let's get on with it, you know? And it's not like that. It's not like that at all. It's the hugest shift you'll ever go through in your whole life. Um, so I think it's very important to start talking about it. Yeah. Thank you for saying that because that was certainly something I observed as well is that there's kind of exactly, it's like, well, many women have a baby. 
get on with it. (laughs) And it's like, wait a minute, this deserves respect. This deserves acknowledgement. And I think when I was pregnant, um, my pregnancy was pretty, even though it was a smooth pregnancy, it was still pretty rough. I was very sick. I had a lot of um, side effects that were pretty debilitating for a while. Um, But, you know, my doctor was just like, well, we don't treat pregnancy as an illness. And, and I get that it's not an illness. However, it's more important or it's more substantial than just like, oh, it's a cold, you'll get over it. It's like, okay, why have we now attached? It's like how there's this badge of honor around how stressed you are, how busy you are. It's like, well, I'm so busy, I'm so busy, I'm so important um, in our general society. It's the same thing with women. Like, oh yeah, behind the scenes, like I'm totally suffering behind the scenes. I'm exhausted, I'm fighting with my partner. I can't control my emotions. I don't know what's going on. And then you meet them for a coffee or you talk talk to them on the phone and they're like, yeah, rubbing their belly. I'm pregnant. It's a little tough. I'm tired, but it's all good. And it's like, excuse me here. I'm going to swear for a second. Why the fuck are we not talking about this in a real way? Because to me, it was so shocking. And when, especially once I got pregnant, a lot of the symptoms, um, you know, nobody talks about, I mean, you might hear about the heartburn, you might hear about the nausea, but I mean, skin tags, nosebleeds, insomnia, terrible um, water retention, like all of these things that you're like, I had no idea this was related to pregnancy. And you're like expected to just like get on with it. (laughs) Yeah. And it's true in every phase of of a woman's journey, the preconception as well, where you know, a lot of women don't want to talk about it, that they're trying to get pregnant because it's really personal and intimate and, and you don't know how that's going to go, of course. But I wish we could talk about it and say, hey, you know what? I'm really, I'm trying to get pregnant and I'm on this journey and it's really wonderful and exciting. And, and also, you know, releasing the expectation of like, okay, I'm going to get pregnant. And like, for example, here in Norway, and I don't know how it is in Australia, um, our kindergarten or uh, like the baby daycare starts in August and they only accept kids who were born um, up until the, the, the year prior. Um, and so it's really favorable to have a baby in the month of July because then you have a full year of, of maternity or paternity leave. And then as soon as you need to go back to work, your kid is starting in the daycare. Um, I happen to have my son in July, totally by chance. Um, but it's funny. So a lot of people will try to plan their pregnancies and then they'll even try to plan their pregnancies so that they have their first kid and they have the year and then they have the, the kid goes to daycare and then they have their second one. And there's a, there's an, a way that a parent could have maternity or paternity leave for two years, like full years staying home. And I don't know the exact details. So if a Norwegian's listening, they're like, that's not quite right. I, I don't know. Cause I'm not doing that, but it's a very common common goal here. And so striving to like plan your pregnancy strategically is very interesting. And so people will share about that, but they're not sharing about the emotional journey behind it. And like, oh, this is tough and exciting. And I don't know. And I'm, I'm planning. And, and the same thing with the pregnancy, like sharing the real truth of the matter. And, and then of course, postpartum, very few people talk about the reality of postpartum. And just like you said, Madison, how truly isolating it is. And for me, postpartum has actually been the hardest part of my entire journey. And um, a lot of, a lot of struggles hormonally, physically, emotionally. And, and that's, I think, 
a huge shock to a lot of women because we don't talk about it. So you wouldn't know, especially when you're a first time mom. And then all of a sudden you're blindsided by a lot of this stuff and you feel even more isolated because nobody's talking about it, especially not other mothers. So I think it's interesting that in our society, like why have we created this intense shame around a woman's authentic experience and making sure that we can perhaps um, do our part to share and I'll say one last thing before you guys can jump in here. Um, from the postpartum perspective, I have felt, and I'm very open with my experience, I'm very open with how I feel for the most part, and am very confident and comfortable with who I am and my experience. All of that being said, it feels incredibly vulnerable to share about uh, my postpartum experience. and. I do feel and have felt some judgment or some feelings of insecurity creep in when I'm honest about it because I don't know if it makes other women uncomfortable or if they don't want to acknowledge their own postpartum experience or if they didn't have that experience at all, which also could be true. Um, there are women who have lovely postpartum experiences, but I think overall, many of us struggle behind the scenes. And so I think that's a really uh, detrimental thing in, in overall for women in our modern society. So I don't know what you guys think about how we open this conversation up. Yeah, that was one of our initial goals, I think, with starting Women's Wisdom Co. Um, so it was it was around creating a community, creating a safe place for everyone, no matter where where they are in their journey. You know, they may have been um, they may be IVF veterans or whatever, or they might just be starting to baby prep. We wanted to create a safe place for everyone to be able to talk and just tell us their story. And so far, like everyone's loving it. Um, heaps of people have opened up to us which is so amazing and I think you know there's that saying that it takes the village to raise a kid I think like we think it takes a village to support a couple to get pregnant you know even that first step it starts all the way back from just falling pregnant um, that that couple and that mum to be needs that support. Mm -hmm, absolutely yeah and I think through our work just opening up the conversation around like you said, preparing for pregnancy and actually encouraging women to say, hey, yeah, we're preparing. My partner and I, we're spending the next two years, we're preparing to have a baby. You know, how often do you hear people saying that? <laughs> so we're really trying to encourage women to start talking about it because, you know, even if you don't necessarily successfully get pregnant, even if you don't fall pregnant on their set, the set time or month, like, you should still share, you should still talk about that because that in itself is going to be a huge emotional journey for that woman. So yeah, I think it is all around, um, yeah, just like, like creating that space, like making women feel safe and heard. And you know what, it's okay that it doesn't look like X, Y, and Z. And it's okay that you don't feel this right now. Like it's everyone's own unique journey. Um, and something else I wanted to say that I think I thought was really interesting when you were saying how women, um, uh, plan their pregnancy for the the care and, and then one year later they want to fall pregnant as well um, something that we actually just shared uh, not too long ago on our Instagram is this whole theory around child spacing I don't know if you want to maybe dive into that yeah um, absolutely please let's talk about it 
Yeah, so it's something that Karina and I, we've been looking at, looking at research and looking at people um, speaking around this. And the question with kind of arose is like, okay, what is the ideal time period that a woman should wait before trying for their next baby? Um, and I think it all ties in together, you know, with the preconception period, um, pregnancy, postpartum, and then moving on to your next one, you know, we wanted to start our work at the very start, because if you are set up strong and nourished from the beginning, then it's likely going to lead into, you know, a more nourished pregnancy, um, a potentially, hopefully smoother postpartum. And then that leads into the next pregnancy as well. Um, but I'll let Karina continue on with the uh, child spacing post because she wrote this and she did the reading and it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, we did a post um, on child spacing and it was just a few different opinions of people who had looked more into it, I guess. Um, so the same doctor that we spoke about earlier, Dr. Weston Price, he found that um, couples and different tribes um, roughly spaced their children between two to three years because that's the like optimal time frame for the parents, the mum and the dad to completely recover postpartum, to completely build their stores up, their nutritional stores, their emotional stores too, and completely be ready for the next stage. I think one thing that a lot of people overlook is that um, the babies with each pregnancy, the baby actually takes 10% of the mother's total mineral supplies, which is huge. So women who are having, you know, one, two, three babies straight after each other and um, without completely building those stores back up can just become more and more depleted. Um, and then that can lead to, you know, less healthy children as well. So it's not just disadvantaging the women, but um, their, their family as well. That is so interesting. And um, yeah, it's like on one hand, there's the strategy of spacing children based on your daycare needs. <laughs> and then on the other hand, there's the, the holistic actual reason why, why spacing children would be important. And I think that's so cool. Are you guys going to dive deeper into that and kind of expand in those areas in your courses and offerings? Um, potentially, yeah, yeah. So we like to also make it known to um, second-time mums, third-time mums, fourth-time mums um, that, you know, our work and our course is still for them. You know, you can start preparing. Like, it doesn't matter whether it's number one, two, three or four for you. Um, so, yes, we definitely are trying to, you know, start that conversation because it isn't something that's really that spoken about, I guess, in our society. And, you know, there's lots and lo often lots of talk around, you know, oh, you don't want a too big a gap between your children. And I don't know, for me having, you know, just about to hit one year postpartum, I'm like, oh my gosh, how are women potentially getting pregnant, you know, next month? Like when I think about where I'm at and with all the knowledge I know, I'm like, how are they just then continuing? And exactly like you said, like, there are so many growing pains. Well, there's some women experience, not necessarily all women, but for a lot of women, there are so many growing pains, particularly with your first in that postpartum period. And it's like, I think that needs to be fully acknowledged, you know, like mm. emotional healing, every level of healing, nourishment. Um, yeah, just the, just the idea of potentially, you know, getting pregnant in a few months to me is like, oh my gosh, like why is nobody talking about how huge this actually is for a woman? Oh, I'm with you on that. I, I mean, my husband and I were only having one kid and um, that was always the plan. And I think about that all the time because I'm like, oh my God, I can't imagine being pregnant now or getting pregnant in any time soon because my husband, he's on paternity leave. I work from home and we have one kid. So it's like two parents, one kid, and we're both exhausted. 
<laughs> and we're both yeah. like, oh my God, this is really, it's amazing. It's awesome. But it's also like, wow. Okay. And I, I, I understand it gets easier with each child and you have more experience and you're more confident, more comfortable as a mom and dad. But, um, I'm, and I'm also an older mom. So my, my natural energy is a little bit lower anyways, but, uh, yeah, I definitely am like, oh my God, I can't even imagine right now, uh, doing this all over again. <laughs> I need, I need more. If I were to get pregnant again, I would need quite a bit more time to recover. Um, I wanted to ask you guys too, one thing I know you've posted about quite a bit is um, the information for a good prenatal vitamin and sharing about what that looks like and what women should be looking for. And it's there's differences in prenatal vitamins. Can you guys speak to that a little bit maybe? Yeah, definitely. So the first thing we'll say is there is no one size fits all. A lot of women ask us, which prenatal should I take? Um, which is an impossible question to answer if we don't know their health history and, you know, everything that's going on for them at the time as well. Um, but there are a few key things that we do tend to look for. Um, so we like the better quality ones, the, the whole food supplements, if possible. Um, the cheap kind of chemist store, drugstore brand ones that you can get are filled with a lot of like synthetic fillers, um, you know, to bulk them up or whatever. And they can actually cause a bit of toxicity in our body as well. So a lot of those prenatals don't actually have the consumer at mind. It's just all about the money. Hmm. So um, you've really got to look into the company and what they stand for a bit as well. Um, another huge point here is the most like to make sure the vitamins and the nutrients are in their most absorbable form. So a common one here that a lot of people may have heard of, um, is the activated folate versus the folic acid. So folic acid is the synthetic version, and then you can get the activated folate. Um, the problem with this is that around 60% of the population have a gene mutation on the MTHFR gene. And this can actually affect the way that we convert folic acid, so the synthetic version, into an activated form within our bodies. So if women are taking folic acid, high-dose folic acid, and they've got this gene mutation, then they potentially aren't able to use that um, and it can kind of cause a backlog in their system. And, yeah, it can cause more damage than it can help. So... Um, making sure the nutrients are in their most absorbable absorbable form uh, like is a huge one, but that is just um, kind of learning and knowledge and like educating yourself. But we post a lot about that on our page. Um, and then also like the supply of dose, I guess. A lot of nutrients like mark that they have everything you need, like it covers all basics, but it's like when you look at it, you know, it's a minuscule amount, like it's a, such a low dose that you're almost better off not taking anything. Um, like one common one here in Australia, I won't name names, but the vitamin D levels in that particular supplement, like you'd get more just walking down the street for five minutes. Like it's just ridiculous. Like when you really need like a lot more, a lot more intake. So yeah, there's, it's a bit of, it's a bit of a whole new world when people start looking into prenatal supplements. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, that's true with any supplement or any vitamin that somebody might take. Um, there's a lot of, especially if you're interested in, in taking, uh, or approaching your fertility from a more holistic, uh, wellness approach, you know, there's still a lot of greenwashing and there's a lot of crap out there and, and sifting through that can be really challenging. And 
I mean, I know I certainly struggled with that and I used a brand that I love and I use for other things. Um, but the problem is in Norway, it was really hard to get. It was very expensive to import it. Um, and so, yeah, that's why I thought I wanted to bring that up on this podcast because I think a lot of women, they're just like, oh yeah, just, you know, go to the drugstore and take the pre the designated prenatal vitamin and you're good. And I agree. I think you have to do a little bit more research. And on that point also, I, um, this cracked me up. And then of course, I, I want to hear what you guys uh, recommend in your course about this. But um, I, when I started my preconception journey and I had gone into the pharmacy here in Norway and I was looking for a prenatal vitamin and, and um, I had asked one of the, the women working in the shop, I was like, oh, I'm looking for a prenatal. And she was like, oh, are you pregnant? And I said, no, I'm not. I just want to, you know, I'm starting to plan to get pregnant. And she was like, she grabbed the box out of my hand and she was like, oh, you don't need these then. These are only if you're pregnant. I was like, mm, okay, <laughs> what are your uh, uh, recommendations on when a woman should start a prenatal vitamin? Yeah, so it's definitely way overlooked. A lot of doctors don't don't like accept that women should take a prenatal multi, but um, they're so important. So like I spoke about the egg and the sperm developing, that is when they need the nutrients. You know, that is when they need those key nutrients to create optimal DNA, basically. Um, by the time you've conceived, it's kind of too late to edit the DNA that you're passing on to your child. Um, you can edit their health outcomes, but the DNA is set in stone. So taking a prenatal, I guess, minimum, absolute minimum, we'd say three to four months before you conceive. Um, but yeah, we, we like to recommend it even further, you know, six to 12 months. Um, so, yeah, we've put together a bit of a guide for women who might not necessarily want to go down the entire Conscious Conception um, Baby Prep Journey course. We've put together a guide on our store about how to choose a prenatal and what to look for and um, the doses and that kind of thing as well so that women can educate themselves and, you know, make an educated decision for, for their own family based on that. Amazing. That's so great. And of course, I'll be linking all of this in the show notes to your website, to your Instagram, um, so that people can start following you. And do you guys also do individual consultations or are you just doing group formats right now? Um, Karina does individual consults. Yes. So she does consulting through her naturopath business, um, which all of the links and information is all available um, on our Women's Wisdom Co. Instagram as well. Awesome. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Good. Well, I think that's a wonderful place to wrap up. Um, this has just been a total delight to meet you ladies and chat with you about this. I love this topic so much. Um, probably because I had a better experience with my preconception than I did with my postpartum, even though I, I, I love talking about postpartum as well. It's, uh, all of it's important. All of it is so important. And it's kind of that idea of, you know, when you get married and so much focus is put on the one day of your wedding and we never talk about the marriage and how healthy that will be and, and tools that you can have for the marriage. It's the same thing I think with uh, pregnancy and having a baby is so much focus and attention is driven onto the one day that you, or two days maybe that you are in labor and giving birth and very little is thought about the preparation or the after period. So um, I just love what you guys are doing. And um, thank you so much for being on my podcast and sharing all your wisdom and, and what you guys are up to. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. I've loved chatting. It's been great. Yeah, thank you so much.
You are so welcome. Bye, ladies. It is dinner time in Australia, I'm sure. So um, <laughs> enjoy. All right. Bye-bye. Thank, Thank you. See ya. Bye.